Welcome to the 12th House Podcast. I'm Michelle, the co-host and your head witch in charge here at Holisticism. I started Holisticism to help creative, intuitive, spiritual people actualize through their sacred work. And at the 12th House, that's what we talk about all day long. We give you tools to do whatever it is that you're here to do. That's going to be intuitive business practices like sales, marketing, branding, That also means learning about things like self-knowledge, spirituality, creativity, everything that you need to really expand as a person. I think that running a business is one of the biggest opportunities to level up and grow as a spiritual being. So join us twice a week to talk about everything you could possibly need to get the expansion pack and jump to the next level. Think of us as your metaphysical BFF who's kind of obsessed with productivity and intuitive business, but definitely has your human design chart memorized. We're pretty fun. I think you're going to love it. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast and let's get into today's episode. Hello, Wallace. Hi, Michelle. And <laughs> welcome to the 12th House. The 12th House Podcast. We're so happy that you're here. And boy, oh boy, do we have a great episode for you today. We are continuing with our theme of chatting with people about how they do things differently and approach their lives and their work and their creative lived experience in a different way because we're all about that over here. Amen. And we had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Joy about how to be a multi-hyphenate, a creative, honestly, millennial. I think this is a millennial perspective a little bit. And a squiggly brain person or a neurodivergent person, someone who's interested in a lot of things without feeling like you're flaky. And I think that's like a core wound for some of the most creative people I know and interesting people I know, because they're just so deeply curious about the world and how everything works and exists and they want to chase after it. But they maybe have been told from a young age that wanting to jump from thing to thing, hobby to hobby, career to career, job to job reflects poorly on them. When in reality, like that honestly couldn't be further from the truth. And it doesn't have to be that way. One door opens the next. Not every project needs to be a 10-year project. Not every relationship needs to be a decades-long marriage. Why do we take that approach to so many things? It's very rigid and regimented. And yes, yeah. what you're saying reminds me of that saying. A jack of all uh, is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Of one, yes. And that is the life and day and age that we're living in, where the fallacy of having one path, one trajectory is totally breaking down. It was going from one job in, let's say, the boomer lifetime, the average one to two jobs, millennials, five to six. And now they're saying Gen Z will have over 10 different jobs across five different industries. Liz shared that in our other podcast. And if this is something that you're tiptoeing between accepting, but then actually embodying, this is going to be a great podcast for you because it's really the main focus of the conversation. And also how to use that jack of all trades energy in the positive as opposed to as a way to be distracted and stay out of your genius because we can totally work with it in the shadow aspect too. Let's just get into it. It's a really good episode. You guys are going to like it. We are so excited to have you on the podcast, recommended also and introduced to us by our wonderful editor and podcast extraordinaire, Amelia. Welcome to the pod. Thank you. Amelia is the best. She really is. You also have a podcast yourself. I do. The Multi-Passionate Mastery Podcast. That is my playground, my home base. 
my love offering mm-hmm. to all fellow multi-passionates. It's also the longest standing project that I, as a multi-passionate creative, have been able to stay in devotion with. How many years has it been going? Oh, just a little <laughs> over one year. <laughs> Wait, I love those answers. So perfect. <laughs> so yeah, in December of last year, it was a year. So almost yeah. a year and a half. But I feel that I'm just getting mm-hmm. started where for me, most of the time when I hit a year, I'm like, okay, let's wrap <laughs> it up. This is, we're complete and we're moving forward. So, so that's been really interesting. Same thing with my coaching mm-hmm. program. My coaching program just hit a year in March and I'm like, oh, how interesting that this feels like the beginning mm-hmm. when for me as a highly multi-passionate person who always needs that out, I might not always take it, but I always need it available mm-hmm. to me. Permission to be like, nope. I'm good. I'm going to switch it up. Uh, It's been really interesting as I basically take my own medicine and practice what I preach, how I'm starting to find that even within what you might call focusing on one thing, I've been able to pour so much of my creativity into it that it doesn't feel confining Mm -hmm. in any way. So it's been, it's been such a beautiful process and yeah, the podcast is, is everything. My happy place. It sounds like you're inside of this container. Oh my God, the ADHD is kicking in. So I love, mm-hmm. I, I went to art school and I loved when someone would give me parameters. One of my teachers would be like, you got to choreograph something to a five, five. That's it. That's, that's the rule, but you can do whatever you want. Do you feel like this container that you've given yourself, like, did you do that on purpose? You created two things that are like sort of static. Um, did it unleash your creativity in a different way? So I don't even know that I did it on purpose. So when I first launched my podcast, I knew that I was going to have digital products in the world. I thought at the time when I launched the podcast that I would be kind of like a workshop gal. Like I would just have one-off workshops and then occasionally bundle them. And I did. I created that product pretty similar, like close to when the podcast aired and I had an ebook. I didn't have a coaching program. I did not have my flagship coaching program yet. So I started my podcast because I wanted to talk about the things that I was teaching in my digital products, but I wanted to like, you know what it's like, I want to talk about it. I want to explain mm-hmm. it. I want to bring people into the what and the why in a more nuanced way. And as I began to do that, I was practicing what I preach. So one of the things that I teach is creating seasons of focus. Mm-hmm. So It's exactly what it sounds like, but that language is really specific to multi-passionates because seasons change. Mm -hmm. So it gives this feeling of lightness. So what I did was I created a season of focus around launching my podcast. Also, my podcast coach was Chelsea Reif, who I know you also know, who's also been on the pod. So I worked with Chelsea. Reflector. Worked with Chelsea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So we worked together and we launched the podcast and then, you know, I did, I batched everything ahead. So that season of focus came to a close and then I had space in between season one and season two. And in that interim, I developed and launched my coaching program. But it's, it's interesting as a multi-passionate to what I always tell my clients is let your projects be your teachers because mm-hmm. When we start projects and we're thinking about, okay, well, here are the tasks and here is here are the dates and these are the things that I'm going to do. But that project is also in your life, just unrooting different parts of you. And mm-hmm. if you can lean into that, it doesn't matter how long it goes. It doesn't matter 
how many people sign up. It doesn't matter the accolades because you're going to come out of it having learned something from yourself. It's really fascinating. And like I said, there's been plenty of projects where, you know, well, I get to a year and I'd be like, nah, yeah, I'm not, not still doing that thing. You know, even things I, that I, I can think of many things that I've even mentioned on the podcast that I don't really think about anymore, but they still are having their moment because they're automated and technology is cool. So <laughs> I love the asterisks and technology is great. So. <laughs> technology is great until it's not like Mercury. Yeah. Until, it's not. until it's scary. Yeah. 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 <laughs> until it's AI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you, how do you know when something's a project, like a proper project versus like an up-leveling of something that you're already focusing on. I feel like that's something that a lot of our multi-hyphenate, multi-passionate people really kind of struggle with discerning between or even like prioritizing. Do I put more gas behind this thing, more money, more effort, more, let's say, mastery behind something? Or do I like take follow my interests somewhere else? How do you make that determination? Mm. I'm going to go really human design on this. You would follow your authority you know, I hesitate to give blanket statement advice to such a nuanced question because for me, I would feel into that because I'm emotional authority. So I would feel into what does it feel like to put more of my creativity, more of my resources into something that I've already created. Also as an open sacral, a lot of times that's going to be less work and I'm here for less work, right? I don't have a sacral motor because I'm a manifester. So my sacral is completely open. So for me, if I can, if I can pick up something that I've already started and I can add more to it, that's likely going to feel better for me. Right now, if I did that and I felt depleted or sad, or my, I just felt it was off emotionally, then I would need to step back and make sure that I'm running that through my emotional wave, giving it some time and asking myself, maybe this isn't the thing. Is there something else? And then I would have to give it a little bit of time, make sure I'm in a neutral space and then make a decision. Someone who has a sacral motor, maybe a manifesting generator, right? Who is truly here meant to do many different projects, that may all feel very siloed and has that sacral motor to put behind it. And maybe they have splenic authority. They're going to want to trust their intuition and probably do a little bit of it. Just go do it. Right. And then follow your intuition. So I can't really give blanket statement advice on that one other than to always start from a place of clarity because there's a question and there's a question behind the question. Right. So the question is, how do we know if this project is pulling forward something else from us or if there is something new totally that we need to do? And the question behind that is, how do we make decisions? What is the space of clarity that we can be rooted from before we enter those questions? Who are we to ourselves? Do we have confidence in our decision making? So like in my program, literally the first module is all human design. So I'm not just like throwing it in there because I I also do teach this because that way I don't have to coach blanket statement coaching. I go, okay, let me look at your chart and then I can coach from that space. So that's my non-answer to your question. But I think it's important to bring that up because it's easy to want to have. And there there are definitely spaces where I say like, here's a method, here's a framework, follow this and you're gonna be good because it's adaptable. Um, But for something like that, 
I think it might be a little bit different for everyone. That was a good answer. Yeah. (laughs) What has your journey to human design been and how have you then incorporated it into your work? What started that for you? So this is really interesting. So I was a nanny for several years out of college and the family that I nannied for after I left, their father hired me back as an executive assistant and he's a very well-known life coach. So I was like, sure. I was kind of like dipping my toes into coaching. I was like, sure. I love this family. I'll do it. And part of his onboarding process was to run all of his team's human designs. So he ran because he has like a human design, I guess, advisor. That'd be the word I would use. And so he ran my chart and gave it to the advisor. And the advisor was like, I've never seen a chart like this. You need to bring her in and I need to meet her. I need to talk to her about this chart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He then was like, don't ever let her leave. Like, she'll make you tons of money. I'm not even kidding. He's like, don't let her leave. Like, if we weren't such good friends, I would try to steal her from you. All this, it was, I was like, well, whoa, <laughs> what's going on here? Hold on. <laughs> and that job did not last because I am not on the planet to be anyone's executive assistant. But I took the human design with me. Um, and, and what he meant, what that, what that advisor meant was that I have eight defined centers. I have a defined, a really, really defined like ego and heart center. Like there's a lot of defined channels that are very conscious there. All of my energy and my channels are tribal and collective. So I'm always thinking about what do my people need? This happened to me. Okay, great. How can I put this in a way that's going to serve my my people? My And my people happen to be multi-passionate creatives. And then I have a completely open sacral. So my my work is resting, letting myself rest, not overworking, and accepting that what I'm doing is already working. It's not always about more. Um, But that's how I came to human design. I integrated into the program because, you know, maybe it's like this for you too. You know, when you're having a conversation with someone, just like exactly what just happened, I'd be having conversations. Someone asked me a question and I'd be like, well, what's your human design? I, I wouldn't even be able to answer it. I'd be like, well, what's your human design? You know, because yeah, that's going to help me. Or like if, you know, I need to know, do I need to ask you yes or no questions? If you're a manifester, I shouldn't even be telling you anything really. I leave it really open and you tell me what you want to do. You know, if you're a projector, like I'm going to ask questions because I know that you want to feel that someone's peering as deeply into you as you do into others. So I want to give that to you. Right. So I became just a human design enthusiast myself to really just to get Mm -hmm. to know myself. And then it was like everyone I was meeting, I was like, what's your design? Pulling everyone's chart. I met my partner. He's also a manifester, also a quad left. So we went through that whole journey. And so when I started my coaching program, it was almost like a no brainer for me that I wanted to have human design be the starting place in it. Because I didn't want to assume that everyone coming in would know that and be able to just like submit Mm. their chart. So Mm. I, for at first I was like, okay, I shall become a human design teacher. Like I will study it. And then I, and then I was like, no, I will bring in someone else (laughs) (laughs) Um, to teach this. And so Crystal Woods is someone who I, I took a program with her to learn more about my design. And she is an an amazing human design coach. And so she teaches the human design portion of the first module in my program which is cultivating clarity. And then I teach like the other, the other non-human design things. And we talk about it 
all the time on every single coaching call because it allows me to coach the person I'm speaking directly to. And um, a lot of my clients go on to become like human design practitioners and totally fall in love with it, which makes sense because I'm initiating them as a manifester right into human design. But it's really helpful because if you think about the multi-passionate experience, And the work that I'm doing, which is around prioritizing and focusing in a way that feels good and exciting, that's going to look so different. What's your human design, Wallace? I know that Michelle's projector. MG. MG. Okay. This is a perfect little platter right here that we have, (laughs) right? You're You're an MG. Michelle's a projector and I'm a manifester. The way that we would each approach being a multi-passionate, wanting to figure out which project we're going to start with first, what order we're going to do things in, and then how we're going to focus, it would be so different and so nuanced. So it was just like, without a question, I I knew I had to start, I had to start with human design. Truly, it's because I think blanket statement advice is like harmful. Totally. And I'm not going to have people paying me and then I'm like, okay, just here's how you do it. You know, just put these things in order. I just couldn't, I just couldn't, couldn't do it like that. I'm so curious if we, let's say the three of us were starting projects on our own because you mentioned it. I was like, how would you advise we approach them differently? Yeah. So without knowing the nuances, yeah, without knowing the nuances um, of our charts. So if we were each starting a project on our own. I have Wallace's chart and my chart. (laughs) Okay. All I really want to know is like, Wallace, what's your, what's your authority? Sacral. Sacral. Okay. Sacral authority. Michelle, you're emotional, right? You said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm emotional. But really, if we're just looking at the the different types, you know, so Wallace, you might be starting a project in the midst of another project. You are probably mm-hmm. a quintessential multi-passionate and feel very seen by that. That probably feels very, very natural to you. What I have to remind my, my MG clients of a lot is... Sometimes my MG clients would be like, I'm doing this thing and I and like it's going well, but I want to do this other thing and, and I just want to slow down. And I'm like, you don't like your version of slow ain't you don't gotta go slow. You're not really here to go slow. Go at the pace of Wallace. Like that would be mm-hmm. my advice to you. Go at the pace of Wallace. You decide what it means to have that rhythm because you have the sacral motor. It has rhythm. You regenerate that energy over and over. And we need manifesting generators and generators to be doing work that lights them up because you you generate energy that then Michelle and I can plug our sacrals into and have a little bit of so we can get something done. Shit. Right? So <laughs> so you know my advice for you all is if you were starting a project would be it's okay if the timeline isn't linear and if there's like leaps in it, because you might find that you just go and then you leap to the next phase and you leap to the next phase. And then to keep informing and to follow your, your strategy, you know, of, of responding as well. That would be, that would be huge too. You know, like people say, Oh, pull your audience and ask them what they want. I'm like, I don't give a, no, I don't need to do that. I'm here to tell people, this is what you need. I'm going to initiate you into this. I have a right angle cross of rulership. I'm not polling my audience for what? I don't need, I don't want to be told what to do. And I'm not here to respond. You're like, I know what I need to share. And they don't always know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how I would give you advice, Wallace. I'd be like, 
be careful about following anyone else's timeline. Like go at the pace of Wallace. That would be my advice. Um, Michelle, I'd be like, have some support. Make yeah. sure that you still have your your yeah. rest space and double the timeline. <laughs> that would be my advice. I'd be like, just double the timeline because projectors need rest mm-hmm. baked in. That's when you download. Yeah. It's hard when you have an open cycle, you feel more pressure to work because that open cycle is influenced by a very, you know, sacrally defined society or just the people in the household. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been living sacral free wow. until my baby came, you know, because me and my partner are both manifestors. So we would just be like, I'm tired. Let's just not do anything today. And like, we just luxuriate in like resting together. Whereas when I dated a manifesting yeah. generator and I, and I wasn't even into human design, but I could just see where like I couldn't sit down. And now that I have a little MG son, Zion is a manifesting generator. I'm feeling that again. I'll be like, <laughs> okay, he's with his dad. Let me go sit. And then I'm like cleaning and I'm like, what the fuck? Why am I cleaning? I go and sit, you know? Uh, but it's Ooh, like, zzz, my sacral is just bu- buzzing from being plugged into him. You really have to know the boundaries and like, yeah reinforce them continuously. I will say at least working with Michelle, even after like a day or a weekend or any time that I know she's had like rest and hasn't been working, Michelle, you definitely come back with like a trillion downloads of like, I've been thinking about this and this and this and like, (laughs) and and it's very like, I really see the rejuvenation for you when you take rest. Yeah. Mm It's true. It's true. Yeah. And we're very good. Mm-hmm. Well, not to toot our own horn, but Wallace and I are such yeah. a good team because we yeah. just like can bounce off each other for hours and hours. And I feel like she's very generous with, with me when I'm like, I think I'm tired. And she's like, oh yeah, I'm tired too. Great. Let's, let's stop. Like we're good. It's, it's a really good little team sitch we have. And I will say Wallace is really good at noticing when to That's stop great. something. She's when, when like, mm-hmm. when a project has run its course, she's like, <laughs> you know, it's time to stop. I mean, Michelle, oh, yeah. you can keep yeah. doing it if you want to keep doing mm-hmm. it. But like, I think that it's time mm-hmm. to like cut it. And that's so helpful mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh my gosh. Well, we could just talk about human design <laughs> yeah. all the whole time. Cause now I'm like, is your root, you have a defined root. But anyway, so do you see like the, how deep we can go on a topic because we we're talking through the lens of human design. So that's why it felt really important to include it in my program because it's also like a gift I can give my clients that's not dependent on me whatsoever. And I do not do codependency as a coach. Like I'm not, it's just not my thing. And Mm -hmm. so I'm giving my clients tools to be independent, to not need me. You know, that is the goal. Obviously I'm here for them. I'm here to support them and I'm here to guide them and I'm here to be an example as well as someone who's highly multi-passionate, who practices what they preach, who takes their own medicine, who course corrects very publicly and openly. I share everything with my clients as I'm moving through it. And sometimes those are the biggest teaching moments. And so, yeah, I was like, everyone needs to just learn human design. And I've had people be like, hey, this isn't this like, this feels weird. And like, you know, maybe they're, they come from a more traditional background. They're like, I would rather just do strengths finder or like the Enneagram or something. I'm not into this. And, and, you know, my program is not for yeah. those, for those folks. You got to get a little bit, you got to be woo enough. Yeah. I love that you're so clear on that where you're like, yeah, maybe it's not for you then. That's, That's fine. very manifester of you. Yeah. <laughs> How did you kind of 
come to find, you know, you're so clear on the multi-passionate person as your people or multi-passionate people as your people. How did you come to find that? What was the journey in discovering that for yourself? It comes from being highly multi-passionate and sitting in the feeling of, I guess I'm just a highly creative person who will never be successful and living in that feeling for years and years because it was like, well, I'm so creative. I'm good at a lot of things. I have a lot of options. I can envision myself going down all these different paths, right? Someone who's a hobbyist and is interested in a lot of things, but isn't necessarily multi-passionate might not be able to fully say like, no, I could see myself. Like I could open a coffee shop. I could be a dog groomer. I could be a poet. I could be a dan-. like, you know, they might just say, oh, I'm interested in those things, but I can't see that for myself. For me, it was like, I could see myself being an interior designer. I could see myself being a writer. I could see myself being a singer. I could see myself being a motivational speaker. There were so many different paths that I could see. And yet I could not choose one. I could not stick to it and I could not follow through. And so I began to carry the weight of failure and it took some, I guess, just being a little bit of a rebel and feeling like, well, wait a second, I haven't tried the opposite of this yet. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to feel defeated, I want to at first at least just try everything I've tried picking one thing and feeling how foreign and weird that feels for me. So what if I choose myself instead? And that's what I did. And so I was in like my late 20s. It was probably like, I, I want to say around maybe, I don't know, 2016, 2017. That's when I started my blog. And I called it Joy Knows How because I wanted it to be completely nicheless. So it was like Joy Knows how to take care of plants. Joy knows how to do this. Joy knows how to do that. And I gave myself free reign on my blog to talk about whatever Mm -hmm. I wanted, which was hard (laughs) even because all the advice I was reading about blogging was like, first we pick a niche. And I was like, God damn it. And one day I wrote an article called this time to start celebrating multi-passionates. And then I was like, oh damn, that felt real good. And then I started sharing it and then I started getting responses and emails and people saying like, wow, I've never heard anyone talk about this. Like it's a good thing or this and that. And I still let myself write about whatever I wanted to, but eventually I just kept coming back and all my content started to be how to harness your creativity, how to regain your focus, how to thrive as multi-passionate. For a long time, I stayed in the empowerment space of just this is a good thing. This is not a bad thing. Like, let's all celebrate this. But as I continue to be a student of myself Mm -hmm. and of my own process, I realized that I was learning how to focus. I was learning how to follow through. I was learning how to complete things. Even if they had a short lifespan after I was done with them, I was getting to the finish line. I was gaining momentum. And it just was not enough for me to feel so much. I felt so much better. It was like, oh my gosh, I can do this. I can be multi-passionate and feel good about it and have these processes that work for me. But I don't want to be like at the party alone. I want more folks to feel like this, you know? So even in that article, I said like, I don't want to be at the multi-passionate party alone. I want to be at the punch bowl with the poet who's also into construction and, you know, like the artist who's also practices law or whatever, like breeds horses, whatever. I don't care. But I want to be in the room with that. Like it feels so exciting, so much more exciting than 
getting to this point myself and going, cool, like I figured it out. Um, and so that's when I realized I wanted to help people. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll do coaching. Um, and even that wasn't very linear. I went back and forth. Do I want to do coaching? Then I like sort of felt ick about the coaching industry. So I was like, I'm a mentor. I'm an educator. Um, stopped calling <laughs> myself a coach, went around and around, finally worked with some great coaches and was like, okay, I'm a coach. It's fine. <laughs> and yeah, it really, I mean, it sounds kind of cheesy, but I never planned any of this really. It's truly from the living of my life and observing my own process and then just not wanting to keep it to myself, really just wanting to, to help other folks like me. You know, I had this light bulb moment of I can choose myself and the rest will come and I can figure it out. And I'm so grateful that I've been so many other people's light bulb. You know, that is just the biggest win for me. Um, especially the clients that I get to work closely with in my program, because they go from like, I don't know what to start with to like, okay, I launched this. My next thing is this. And then we're just all celebrating. And it's, it's really powerful. It is the freaking best thing ever. I need to take a breath. There was so much good stuff in there. And I had a hundred things that came up that I was like, okay, I have to make sure that I ask her that question. But the thing that really is like bubbling to the surface, like a little buoy is hobbies. Like, how do you think about hobbies as a multi-passionate person? I think we're all multi-passionate here, right? Like we're part of the club. How do you think about hobbies versus businesses and motivation? Because so often I feel like we find with really creative people, nonlinear thinkers, that they're interested in so many things that, and they, they don't know how to harness them, like what you're talking about to see, see through the project to finish or like do be interested in it for longer than a hyper-focused weekend. And so they end up making something that could be a hobby or like a lighter interest. They turn it into a full-on business and then they get burnt out because they actually don't want to do that business for the next five years. Um, They don't even really want to do it for the next five weeks or five minutes, but they've kind of created these parameters for themselves to be accountable. So can you like, I just said a lot, but can you, can you talk a little bit about like how you think about hobbies? Yes. And I like the way that you contextualize this question because there is this pressure, like everything must be monetized or strategized around. And I like to think of this in an analogy. So there's several analogies that I can give, which I think will really help um, your listeners kind of get on board with this. So you're walking into a frozen yogurt shop. What's the first thing you do? You get a little taster cup. Yeah. You look at all the flavors, you look at everything available to you. Yeah. And then you get a little taster cup and then you go and you start trying things out. Right. And you're like, okay, this is good. Oh no, this is too sweet. Or like, this is good, but I can't have a whole cup of this. Like I'll have a headache after, or like, "Mm, this would be good if I mixed it with something tart or like, okay, today I'm going to get this, but I'll probably never get it again or whatever. And then something clicks and you know what to put into your big cup. So for me, like hobbies are all those little things that you taste that help to develop you and help you to know like what you love, what you maybe could do more of, what you don't need to do that much of or whatever. And then the things you take further into a business or into an offer, that's what goes into your big cup. But the the biggest thing about this analogy is there is permission to try things out. Let's say you're looking for a new place to live. 
You're going to open up like Zillow or whatever, like one of these apps, and you're going to just browse. You're going to look, okay, what's available? What's out there? What's in my price range? Blah, 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 blah. Then you might go see a few places in person, and then you choose. Let's say you're shopping for a wedding dress or a new pair of shoes or anything. You're going to browse first. So almost every other area of our lives, we're given this wild permission to like, just try it out. Just try things out. You don't have to commit right away. Just see what works for you. And then when it comes to like our vocation and what we're going to do, it's like, oh, you must know from the womb. You don't know. You don't know already. Like you don't know what you're going to do, what you're going to be committed to, what you're all over the place. So I think a lot of times what you're saying, like, oh, well, that probably could have just been a hobby, but now you turn it into a business. So you don't want to do it anymore. That comes from not having the permission to just try things. Like, I love to hula hoop. Ooh, it's fun. Like, and not just on my waist. Like, I, I do off-body tricks. Like, there was a point in my life where, like, you know, like, it was, like, a really big part of my schedule. It was, like, I would plan hula hoop wow. time. And I would go on YouTube and look up tricks and, to learn and everything like that. And one of my best friends, we... We, when we first met, we started hula hooping together. I got her into it because she lived with my ex, and I was like, "I need someone to do this with. Would you do it with me?" And we, me and the me and the person didn't make it, but she's been my best friend for like years and years now. And you know, I love hula hooping. Never once have I ever thought, "Oh, I could be a hula hoop instructor," or like, "I could make hula hoops and sell them." No, I, I, it's just fun. I wanted to try it out. Now, if I would have been like, well, if I try that, I got to find some way to strategize around it. I'm not just going to try it and get all good at it. Mm. Yeah. Like, and I didn't have this energy of like, no, it's okay to just try things, try things. Then I might not have ever even picked it up, you know, because it would have felt weird or too much pressure. Or I'd be like, you know, traveling the world as a hula hooper when really I need to be helping people change their lives who are multi-passionate. Right. So that's what I think. I think it's like, the unproportionate pressure that we have to decide quickly when it comes to vocational things that we just don't have in other places in our lives. And there's so much pressure to, to have it all figured out, you know? So, so back to the Froyo analogy, I call it like little cup phase. You know, if you don't know what you're doing yet, you might just be in little cup phase. Embrace that. Try things out. You know intuitively when it's time to get that big cup in the yogurt shop. You're not there stuck in a loop just walking around in circles with the small cup. Eventually you're like, okay, decision made. I'm going to do this and this and these toppings, you know? Um, And next time you might want something completely different, but you have the ability to, in that moment, decide. And I, I always tell my clients and folks who will message me after hearing my podcast, you know, some of this is about trusting that you will be able to decide and allowing yourself to have that time to play and trusting yourself. Like, I trust that it's okay to try these things out, that I'm not going to stay in this place forever, and I will be able to decide. And then if you get to the place where it's like, no, Joy, this is cute, and I love your analogies, but like, I cannot decide, then that's where you get support. That's where you find a coach. That's where you find a community. That's where you start asking other people, hey, like, how did you do this? You know, here's, here. but you got to stay in curiosity, right? Because if you, if you move into defeat, a frustration and you stay there. I'm not saying don't go there. We're human. Go there. Like sit. I'm, I have emotional authority. I go all the way to all the dark emotions, <laughs> but then choosing curiosity um, shortly after that's usually where the, where the stuff is. Mm-hmm. 
as a Scorpio moon and an emotional authority, I can deeply relate to going to the depths and then being like, okay, that was interesting. What did we learn? What was that? What was that like? (laughs) Now that I'm out of the dark night of the soul and the sun has risen and I'm okay. What was that? And it's not a new concept, but I feel like everything that we do here is just, it's earth school, right? And we're just picking our elective classes or our college courses of like, okay, well, you get to learn whatever you want to learn. So where do you want to do it? And what do you want to learn? And going into any job or any project with that sort of like curiosity, as you say, it takes the pressure off of it being the thing, being like meeting the one who's going to be with you forever, doing the business that's going to get you famous or make you money, et cetera, et cetera. Because like one door just opens the neck. It's not really like the one thing. That's not that's not this time anymore. Like maybe in the past, that was how we worked. But like now that's that ain't it. Yeah, we're just moving too fast. I have a client who I interviewed her on my podcast. And she said, you know, after going through the program, I realized that it's never just one thing. It's always the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's a t-shirt. It's a coffee mug. <laughs> like it's a poster. It's a billboard. <laughs> that's um, a tweetable. Yep. Right. Like, because it's just for a multi-passionate human being, that is the truth. It's never just one thing and it's always the next thing, even if the next thing is an iteration of the thing you're currently doing, right? Which we talked about before. There is, as the multi-passionate like spirit, it's always like, okay, how can I put a little bit more of myself into this? If you are empowered to, right? There's like the empowered expression, the unapologetic expression of being multi-passionate. And then there's the um, a little bit more reserved or hidden or unsure multi-passionate who then you might be asking, is it okay to put more of myself? You know, am I allowed to versus like, how can I? But I just, I want to live in a world where multi-passionate people are using their beautiful brilliant brains that are often quite squiggly to create new solutions and new connections between things that someone who is not multi-passionate or is very neurotypical or just doesn't, you know, have that life path simply is not going to think about. It's not interesting to them. It's not going to grab them. It's not going to captivate them. And, you know, in order to, to do that, it's not just saying like, so you know, everyone listening, if you're multi-passionate, embrace it. It's yes, embrace it, but also understand that it's important to find tools that work for you. And if, you know, if you're listening to 12th house and you already know that you're here because you want tools that will work for you. So kudos, but, you know, keeping that as a priority, keeping that top of mind when you are, especially for me, I'm a life coach, I'm in the coaching industry And so for me, it's very important that my clients understand the benefits of working with a coach who is also multi-passionate because I've been in coaching containers where the coach is just like, you're all over the place. Like, well, you're doing a lot of different things. Can you pick one? And, you know, or just, I would never tell my client, okay, just pick one thing. And even if that's what needs to happen, I wouldn't use that language. It'd be like, okay, what season of focus are we in? What can we start with first? You know, there's just a different way to approach it. But the more multi-passionates who are are empowered to think independently, to try things out, imagine how much cool shit would come into the world if more multi-passionates gave themselves permission to just try things out. 
Like an overwhelming amount of cool shit would happen, you know? And then pair with that the ability to prioritize, which I believe is the superpower of the multi-passionate, to be able to say, okay, I have a smorgasbord of things that I would like to do in this lifetime. What can I start with first that's going to make everything that I do after that either easier or more energizing or more enjoyable for me? Not It's not choosing one, but what can I start with first that can then gain some momentum that's going to be a nice lead in to that next thing? One of the things that I think we're constantly trying to ask ourselves, especially when working on a new project is, is this fun? How much fun will we have making mm. this? And are we lit up by it? And it can be so simple to say that, but you need that type of energy to carry you through. And I feel like you, you've put that so eloquently in, in so many ways. Joy, how can people find you? Other, we're going to drop the li- all the links and resources, but where can they find your podcast and binge it? Like, I know that you're not on Instagram, yeah. which we love. You and Amelia are kindred spirits. Yeah. But how can they find you otherwise? Yeah. So the best place to hang out with me, there there are two really good places. The first would be the podcast. So just search Multi-Passionate Mastery wherever you listen to podcasts, and then we'll drop the link in the show notes for you. Or you can go to multipassionatemastery.com if you're into like websites and you want to check that out. You can also join my email list. That's a great way to hang out with me. So you can go to multipassionatejoy.com. That's joy with an I. And you can just join my email list from there. We could also drop that link in the show notes. If that's not um, too much, we can add that. But that's a really fun place to hang out too. There are spaces in you know my business where I take breaks uh, and I will you know move in seasons. But my email list is always popping. Literally, there's just always something going on going on there so yeah those are the two places i'm i'm blissfully not on instagram i am on linkedin Mm. i'm also on linkedin i'm trying to like make that cool and and like it so um, maybe if more cool people connect with me there (laughs) it'll be more fun so yeah so i am on linkedin and i'm in the holisticism hub so we can be friends there too. Joy, this was such a joy. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And, um, you know, everyone listening, if you're multi-passionate, there's nothing wrong with you. You're good. Just continue to surround yourself with folks who are going to build that up in you and not and not beat that down. Ooh, that's um, great advice. That would be my <laughs> parting advice. That really sits. It's powerful sometimes, especially depending on your human design and which open centers you have, how affected you can be by that and not seeing it reflected Mm -hmm. in your immediate surroundings. Yeah. Thank you both so much. Thank you so much, Joy. This is so incredible. The Twelfth House is produced by yours truly, Wallace Miller Blanchard. Our theme music is made by Nathan McKay, and our wonderful editing is done by Softer Sound Studios, who you can find more information about in our show notes.